0: Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Child Care. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Child Care. I'm Priscilla Weigel, the Executive Director, and I'm here today with one of our recurring guests, Sarah Hawley, who is a public health nurse and really spends all of her days supporting childcare providers across the state of Minnesota as a, a public health nurse, well, nurse consultant. And her company does that across the state. And we are working with her to really help all of you out there, as our listeners, understand some of those common things that come up in the childcare setting. And to be able to have some useful answers and tools so that you can be better equipped to do your job and have better days for yourself and, of course, for the most important thing in your care, those precious children. So welcome, Sarah. Glad you're here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always nice to be with you. And today we're going to talk about
0: a very favorite subject that I think is a personal favorite of mine and also... I think a really important, critical subject: active supervision in the child care setting. How do we keep kids safe when there might be some challenges, like meltdowns, or you know, children who really are having a difficult time? And so today, we're going to spend some time talking about active supervision and what that actually means, and then also some strategies to really put, put things in place so that when you are prepared, the challenges won't hopefully occur. So Sarah, why don't you start with telling us a little bit more about active supervision?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So active supervision really just is, it really requires focused attention, um, intentional observation of children at all times. Um, It's something where staff will position themselves so that they can observe all children. They watch, they count, they listen at all times. Mm -hmm. And then during transition, staff account for all children with name-to-face recognition. Um, They visually identify each child. They also use their knowledge of each child's development and abilities to anticipate ahead of time what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. Then they get involved and redirect when necessary. And this is going to help to prevent unwanted behavior such as meltdowns. It's really the most effective strategy for creating a safe environment and preventing injuries in young children. It transforms supervision from a passive approach to an active skill, and I think that's really important.
0: Very staff
1: uses strategy, yeah, and staff use the strategy to make sure that all children of all ages can explore their environment safely. And each program can keep children safe by teaching all staff how to look, listen, and engage, and keeping children safe should really be the top priority. Right. And this active supervision is going to benefit not only the children, but the staff as well. That's for sure. And I think,
0: too, you know, when you think about apt- active supervision and the awareness of that and all those things you just mentioned, there's a lot of things that uh, early childhood professional needs to be balancing in their day-to-day work with young children because you have a diverse group of kids, you have varying needs and abilities, but you also as a professional, should be able to articulate what you are doing to parents because, as you noted, safety and security is that immediate and most important need for families when they're choosing a childcare setting. They want to know, are you going to keep my child safe and how are you going to do that? So I think the facet of this active supervision piece is to really have to make sure that the full staff is able to articulate what it is, what we do, how we do it, when a parent comes in and asks, too, to be reassuring to that family.
1: Right. And we really um, coach um, child care staff on sort of six strategies to put active supervision in place. Um, and these are going to allow children to explore their environment safely. Um, mm-hmm. Infants, toddlers, and preschoolers. You know, they have to be directly supervised at all times. So this includes daily routines, such as, you know, when they sleep, when they're eating, when diapering, toileting, you know, in the bathroom use, everything. So a child's never left unattended. So we go through um, six different strategies that we really kind of coach programs on um, so that they can really put the active supervision um, into practice. That's great. So where do you usually start? What's your first step? Yeah. So the first one, step number one, is setting up the environment. So staff will set up the environment so that they can supervise children so that they're accessible at all times. So when activities are grouped together, um, when furniture is at waist height or even shorter, adults are always able to see and hear children. Small spaces are kept clutter free. Big spaces are set up so that children have clear play spaces so that staff can observe them at all times. So it really starts with the childcare environment first off. Right. Um, The next thing is for, I kind of mentioned this in the intro, but staff positioning themselves. So they carefully plan where they are in the environment to prevent children from harm. So they'll place themselves so that they can see and hear all the children in their care. They make sure that they're always clear paths to where children are playing, sleeping, eating, so that they can react really quickly and get to them Mm -hmm. when necessary And then staff always stay close to the children who may need additional support and their location is going to help them provide that support when and if necessary. Yeah.
0: As you think about that positioning piece, you know, it really becomes, when you think about it and plan ahead for those types of things, it does become second nature for the staff. I mean, it's just this Mm -hmm. flow that occurs day to day. Everybody knows where they need to be. Everyone knows where there needs to be an adult. And that's just something that, The whole staff team in that classroom knows that they need to be watching and counting and being able to see everything that's going on.
1: Right, absolutely. And it really becomes second nature once it's put into practice. But it is a really um, important component of training the staff and getting them all on the same page with it. But like you said, once it's put into practice, it's it's second nature. And it's not something that you really even notice. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: So then after positioning staff, like you mentioned, thanks for the lead-in, um, we talk about <laughs> scanning and counting. So staff are always able to account for the children in their care. So they continuously scan the environment. They know where everyone is. And what they're doing, and then they count the children frequently, and this is especially important with counting during transitions when children are moving from one location to another, just to make sure that you know they continuously have everyone. They started with ten, they transition with ten, that sort of thing. Yes. yes.
0: Oh, I just I know that counting piece is so important in those transitions, and I think. Um, I, people, you know, when you think about like even going on a leaving the building is a whole nother thing, like going on a field trip and all that. But just leaving one space to another, going from the hallway, your classroom door to the playground, you know, or if you're a family child care provider, you know, taking the kids outside and making sure that they all come with you and that you don't have right. a straggler back or someone who ducks into another doorway or, you know, and that that alertness and that counting is so critical.
1: It's critical. And it never stops. I just had a ninth grader who went on a church confirmation field trip and the leader of it was scanning and counting. Like I watched her and she had a checklist with all the kids' names and continuously, because when you're out in a public place, you gotta make sure you've got everyone. Right. Um, That's for sure. And then the other thing is the listening component. So um specific sounds or even the absence of sounds can be concerning. Um, you know, that can signify, you know, like there's a problem. So staff who listen closely to children immediately identify signs of potential danger. Um, And, you know, they can systematically implement additional strategies to safeguard children. Um, Things such as um, you see like bells on doors or alarms on doors are added to help alert staff when a child leaves or when they enter the room. So the listening component is really important as well.
0: Yeah. One thing about the listening, Sarah, too, and, and what you brought up about the absence of sounds, because we know in a busy classroom or a busy childcare setting, noise is a given. You should be hearing a lot of laughter and play, but when it's too quiet or you've noticed that a few voices have gone silent, you need yes, to go Sarah. check out where those two people or three or whatever are, because, yeah, the absence of that is really could be concerning as well. And if, especially if you yeah. can't see. The children who are. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. You want to be able to see them and hear them as well. And like you said, when you can't, it might be a red flag. (laughs) You need to check out what's going on. Um, And then we mentioned anticipating children's behavior. That is really important. Um, So staff should really be using what they already know about each child's interests and skills to predict what they may or may not do um staff can create challenges that children are ready for and support them in succeeding but they can also recognize when children might wander off they might get upset or they might take a risk and engage in some risky behavior um the other thing that we train um staff in too is to do like a daily health check in the morning and this doesn't need to be anything really formal and complex but it might be something as simple as when the child gets dropped off in the morning to ask the parents how was their night how did they sleep you know did they get their normal sleep did they have breakfast are they hungry you know what type of the mood are are they in that sort of thing you know are they are they feeling okay just like a very simple it can be pretty informal yeah. Um, just a little daily health check, but that can really kind of cue you in as well. You know, just knowing about that lack of sleep or food—that's really going to inform the staff's observations and help them anticipate um, the children's behavior. Yes. And I just think that staff who know what to expect are going to be able to better protect um, children from potential danger or harm.
0: Definitely, and that also, you know, is just reinforcing the the fact that we really try to stress so much in our coaching work with providers is to really have that built-in positive communication with families so that it is something that natural flow back and forth they're going to share with you when something is off because you know if a child has had a terrible night's sleep and didn't eat breakfast it's probably going to be a really hard day because they're going to come into a a group setting with a lot of other personalities and their buttons are going to get pushed and it's it might be challenging so having a heads up about that is so important i love that daily health check-in, it's it's important to do. And I think, you know, as we think about what we've all been going through now in, with the pandemic, you know, the, the challenge to connect with parents is there, and I know I'm throwing this out there to you, I didn't prepare you for this question at all, but what have you, what have providers been doing when they can't necessarily stay that connected, you know, during those times when parents aren't allowed to come in the into the building or um, you know how have you seen some creative ways that providers have tried to to stay connected?
1: yeah a lot of it has been I mean not so much now um, now things are slowly shifting back to normal but in the height of the pandemic um, a lot of it was outdoor quick drop um, but they still a lot of programs would still have a clipboard outside with the um, parents to fill something out like slept you know 9 pm to 7 a.m had breakfast, yes or no, like a quick check. Um, And there are a lot of programs too that use electronic methods of this now so that parents can enter it and then, you know, the um, staff people see it on their um, tablet or whatnot so they could communicate that way. So I I think that that still has been going on, but there's nothing like that face-to-face communication when a parent actually brings in the child and, you know, the uh, staff person or the teacher or whatnot can, you know, greet them and ask them about their night and their morning and, you know, parents can fill them in, you know, just like, who, you know, if something's going on, parents can kind of nudge the teacher along with like a little hint of something.
0: Right, definitely. Yes, and and it also you know helps build that community sense of the, the teacher cares about the family and his understanding of the fact that if that child didn't sleep, odds are those the parent didn't sleep either. So they're going to have right. kind of a tough day. So reassuring them, oh my gosh, that's probably that was probably you're probably wiped out, or but just building that partnership is so important.
1: Absolutely. And just knowing about other things like their sibling might be home ill or we've had this going through the family or, hey, we're leaving on vacation. We've got a big trip tomorrow. Just, you know, anything that's going on yeah. Um, yeah. is key. Yeah, just it's just going to help the staff and really everyone just anticipate um, what might happen. And then the next thing um, that we talk about that's really important is engaging and redirecting. So they use what they know about each child's needs and development to offer support. So staff will wait until children are unable to problem solve themselves. um, And then they get involved. They can offer different levels of assistance or redirection depending on each individual child's needs. So that's, that's really big, too.
0: Oh, yeah. And so you really have to know the kids in your care to be able to be that person who is able to anticipate, know what they're, how they're going to react to a possible challenge or frustration, be nearby as a support, Mm -hmm. especially those who maybe tend to reach that frustrated point a little sooner than maybe some of their peers. They're going to be where you're going to have that, you know, depending on the activity. I mean, all those pieces that you were listing here, the different components for for, let's say just free play to just say okay we know if Josie's over in that area sometimes people get frustrated because the Legos don't all fit and she likes the people a lot and sometimes those people are really fast and they're gone and she won't get her favorite one so can somebody head over there and head it off at the pass before it reaches to that escalated point
1: yeah yeah Absolutely. So, yeah, just just kind of knowing a heads up on that is going to help so much. Um, and then you know, then they get involved. The staff will get involved when you know things start to escalate or whatnot, or when the child needs some assistance. And then that's when redirection becomes so important too. When the staff does have to get involved, um, and redirecting just usually guides children to the more appropriate behavior. So, it can be a verbal or a physical, just very matter of fact instruction or a cue that guides the child away from the challenging behavior and then it's going to re-engage them with appropriate activities
0: and it yes. really it
1: provides positive attention to the desired material or activity so it's just yes. redirecting them yeah um, and, and I think I think with redirection too it can be used you know I know it's used free, frequently throughout the days in child care but you know when a child's off task, if they're using a material inappropriately, Um, perhaps they're talking out of turn, or even like you kind of mentioned, if there's something pushed their buttons for whatever reason, maybe the toy they wanted wasn't available, you know, if they're starting to get upset or agitated, that's a perfect time to redirect them. And redirecting can be verbal, it can be, you know, physical, just, you know, scooching them over to a new area, um, redirecting them just with a simple cue, um, or even just, you know, redirecting them with proximal attention and a lot of times verbal just will work as well. Yeah Yeah.
0: and just having them just calling their name to just break the pattern of where they're staring and where they're headed can be you know the beginning of you know redirecting that attention off of the task that might cause some challenges ahead.
1: Right and it can be it can be very simple and it's usually really effective and really I always think too I kind of just mentioned this that redirection is used a lot but Sometimes if it's using, if it's being used a lot throughout the day, it might need to, that the staff need to kind of reevaluate, you know, um, it might mean that maybe you need to increase the time and attention to appropriate behavior, Um, restating behavioral expectations in advance, establishing those rules and routines, maybe reviewing those again, Um, using visual cues of the expected behavior, Um, just reemphasizing social skills, appropriate social skills, and then just making sure that you're providing, um, variation, like with high interest materials and activities so that children aren't, you know, getting bored, that sort of thing. So I think you've got to think about too, like, gosh, what's going on? We're redirecting nonstop. Maybe it's time to reevaluate with that too, and just kind of look at, um, everything that's going on. Right, because we as adults, it's easier for us to change and adapt
0: than expect, mm-hmm. you know, young children to be able to manage all of that with their developing systems of emotions and social cues. They're they're all practicing and still trying to learn. Well, as we kind of think about when, so you've talked really great about how we set the stage for helping things really go well and preparing for that. What if things? aren't going well. What are some things that you see as strategies for when sometimes those perfect plans don't always fit into place? What are some things that you've noticed that really are critical? Yeah.
1: I think one thing that I feel is really important and seems to work well in our consultations with um childcare staff is to have a plan ahead of time. So to train staff, like, what is the plan? You know, what methods of redirection do you use? Um, That sort of thing. And if there is a child, you know, with some known, you know, behavior challenges or that sort of thing, to have a plan in place ahead of time, like how we work through that and, you know, what works for the child What do we do? Um, The other thing is, one thing is to look at, you know, does the child have a sense of belonging in the classroom? You know, how, how do they feel about their place being in there and really honoring that, that they are a part of the classroom? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, thinking about all of those things ahead of time, and then, you know, maybe making that plan and training staff, um, also using empathy, I think goes a long way with kids too. Like, you know, That was a really hard situation. That was really hard, you know, when someone took your toy or whatnot, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and really verbalizing that and working through that with the child. Um, And then I think other things like, you know, if a child is having a, you know, meltdown or whatnot, um, do you have extra staff that can come into the classroom um, that can be challenging because not, there's not always extra staff, but when right. and if there is, could they come in and be with the other children while you, you know, help the child who's having the challenging behavior? Yeah. So utilizing extra staff um, or engaging children like in a meaningful activity, you know, they're doing this so that they're engaged and busy while you are attending to the other child to make sure that their needs are met um, would sure. be another thing.
0: And and making sure, I think, when you think about, you know, redirecting, even um, going back to our earlier point, having that calming area, I know yeah. we talked about this too, is just, you know, even inside the classroom that is accessible to all children, helping kids know they can go there when they need it and that they can start to learn when their body needs that calming before it gets to that meltdown point or that overly frustrated point and providing them a setting over in that quiet, calming area that provide, that has, you know, squishy toys, maybe, you know, um, headsets to listen to calming CDs or story tapes or no, they're not tapes, but you know what I mean? CDs, yeah, absolutely. um, you know, but having options for them to take a moment and withdraw from the overly excited, noisy, possible situation that's causing them to feel overwhelmed.
1: Yes, I totally agree. To have that sort of calming area where that child knows that they can safely chill somewhere in the classroom. And that's the other thing with, um, you know, if you do bring extra staff to come in and help, you know, when and if that's available, make sure that they come into the classroom, you know, to work with the other Um, children while you are with the child needing help don't take the child out of the classroom but like you mentioned just having that area already set up that everyone is you know in the classroom aware that this is our chill area our safe space area that they can go to um, and having them like you said the squishy toys and that sort of thing that calming chill area just just them knowing that that is available to them and that is there I think is um, definitely is going to help as well.
0: Yes. And we on our website, for those of you listening, we can um, we have some great um, sensory brochures just supporting children with sensory needs in the early childhood setting. And it in that um, brochure, it lists all the different ways that you can set up and what you need for a really quality sensory area to be able to provide that opportunity for children. And our, our coaches also are very well versed in helping helping providers plan for you know as you said having that behavior plan planning ahead and when you when you're able to anticipate and you're able to plan for things and everyone knows those next steps right. it it doesn't push people to the brink of frustration kids and grown-ups you know i think sometimes we we go immediately to calling the parent to come if the child's you know, having a difficult time. Well, you're suspending that child by sending them home early, and you're asking that parent to leave work and come and pick up their child, or you tell the family, "We just can't. You just can't come back for a period of days." You're, you know, that's that's another common thing that sometimes happens because everyone has kind of reached their breaking point. And so, when you plan ahead, you can all sit together. Maybe not at the same time, but you can talk about it together over the course of a few days with the family. I'm, you know, really that I can't stress that enough is having the family involved and their input as well um, to plan for situations that may occur and to all kind of make a pact that we're going to get through it together in partnership. We're not going to expel and we're not going to suspend. We're going to really try to work for positive um, outcomes for the child.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, I think in the last podcast we did when we were talking about children with special health needs, like let's say yes. they have a food allergy or something, that was one of the things that we really emphasized is having that plan in place ahead of time and sitting down with the parents ahead of time and going through and making a plan like what are their triggers of their food allergy and stuff, what things they need to avoid. This really isn't that much different and it really should be that open communication and partnership to have that meeting with the parents and have everything in place and that's going to help the family, the staff and the child um, and just limit the amount of frustration when something you know does happen that, you know, we've made this plan. This is the plan. We know what to do. Here's the steps we're going to take. We're all in it together. That's mm-hmm. going to help the child and all of the staff there, too, I think, really decrease some of the frustration versus not having a plan and then something happens and then everyone's frustrated to the brink and, you know, you've got other children to care for. So then everything just kind of spirals. So um, planning ahead of time and making all the staff aware of it um, and having that collaborative effort between, you know, director of the program families and the staff. um, It's huge. It's invaluable.
0: Yep. I agree. That's the key. And I, I really, I think, you know the, the the at the core core of all of this is really understanding the why behind behaviors and taking the time to plan ahead and so thank you Sarah, for being with us i Loved this conversation. I know it's very was very helpful to our listeners, and I look forward to having you back as we continue to kind of navigate some of those hot topics related to health and safety in the early childhood setting. Um, for our listeners who would like more information about other health and safety topics, you can certainly go to our website, inclusivechildcare.org, and we have other podcasts By Sarah. We also have a podcast that we did with Dr. Chris Gendro, a pediatrician, about just some of those um, reasons, health reasons for behavior, too, which it was really helpful topic, a really helpful topic. So, Sarah, we look forward to having you back again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.